1: It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
0: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
3: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities.
2: Oh my God, you have to tell everybody what happened to you yesterday.
0: Well, if you follow me on TikTok, you know about it already. (laughs) But um, yeah, I was on my way to Target Uh, to pick up a few necessities, good toilet paper, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I had to stop in the street because they're less than a quarter mile from our home. Was a dildo in the road.
2: There was a dildo in the road. Yeah. And uh, you didn't stop because you were going to remove it. Uh, you stopped to get video for it Yeah, TikTok. I, wanted
0: to, I wanted to take a picture. Mm-hmm. So I stopped. Um, the man behind me uh, at first was confused because I was blocking the view of the dildo. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, he was all like, oh, you know, you could tell he was getting huffy. He was like raising his arms. I'm mm-hmm. like, what, mm-hmm. what is that? <laughs> (laughs) Right? Yeah. As if I'm doing it for no reason. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I scooted out of the way and I kind of like gestured, like, hey, there's a dildo in the road. (laughs) And he he kind of like shrugged, like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I get it.
2: I understand now.
0: So I uh, shared a video on TikTok and uh, some of the comments have been absolutely amazing. Like, there must be a box of others nearby. Tell JG to get a shovel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, um, this should be your new next podcast, This Week in Florida. Yeah. This is a new thing in the middle, Five Weirdest Things Kat and JG have found in the street.
2: Yeah, there have been a few. Not dildos, just strange things.
0: <laughs> My favorite, Happy Valentine's Day from Florida.
2: Mm, yeah. <laughs> we got a uh, an email from our building management team.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, complaining that people were throwing inappropriate items off the balconies.
0: Obscene was the word Ob- they used.
2: Obscene, yeah. And so my first thought was, was this outside of our building? <laughs> One of our na- maybe that explains what they're talking about. Yeah. But But no, it was it was like a couple of blocks.
0: Well, that uh, email came in weeks ago, so there's no way a sturdy dildo like that would stick around for that long.
2: <laughs> All right. Enough of this dildo in the street talk let's uh let's get down to business here so this is alarming in what's being called a groundbreaking experiment scientists have taken a chicken embryo no
0: i already hate this and
2: transformed it into something like a small dinosaur like a like a velociraptor well not the whole thing but they're making headway toward it. Uh, the scientists involved claim that they did not set out to recreate a dinosaur or a dinosaur chicken hybrid.
0: Wait a minute. Is this what you were Okay. Okay, this makes so much more sense cuz I walked by you earlier yeah. and you had your laptop up uh-huh. and you were looking at pictures of birds. <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, he's looking at pictures of birds. Like <laughs> yeah. like you're really starting to jive with me, right? Like we're starting to become the the same person." And I was so excited no. that you were just Learning about birds, but no. no.
2: I'm looking at uh, pictures of what the uh, Velociraptor chicken might look like. Oh, man. So they said that they didn't intend to create this chicken-dinosaur hybrid, but it's pretty much what ended up happening. Researchers at Yale University in New Haven and Harvard in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, were researching the origin of the bird's beak. Of a bird beak. They wanted to know how that evolved. Of course, it's a very vital part of bird anatomy that's been so important in the success of their evolution. So this study started out as an investigation into evolutionary transformation to better understand the underlying mechanisms of uh, DNA and, uh, and genes and how they
0: work. Okay. How does a velociraptor get wrapped up in there?
2: Okay, we're getting there. All right. Leading the study was Batanjan Bular from Yale University, and Arkhat obzanov of Harvard.
0: They were working together? Yeah. Oh, I thought that they were like mortal enemies.
2: Well, Yale and Harvard? No. Yeah. They're working together.
0: Not in the science department, anyway.
2: This, had, uh, this research had to do with the study of the DNA and genes found in modern chickens. Uh, the idea that birds evolved from dinosaurs originated in the 19th century. It's pretty much a commonly accepted fact. At the time, scientists discovered a fossil of a very early bird-like animal. It seemed to almost be like a missing link between the birds and the dinosaurs. Mm. The animal had wings, it had feathers, but also had many characteristics of dinosaurs at the same time. These early birds, even though they're similar to our modern birds, didn't share the same characteristics. Or at least they had some different ones, mostly in the area of the beaks or where their beaks eventually would evolve to be. They had something more akin to snouts, kind of like what dinosaurs did, their ancestors Okay. So the idea of this study was to try to understand how the snout from this ancient creature evolved into the more modern bird beak. That's what they set out to discover. And they did this research by tampering with molecular processes that make up the beak of the chicken.
0: I mean, you have to know that some things are going to go awry when you're tampering with the molecular... Gene tampering. Gene tampering. Yeah, exactly.
2: Goular said, quote, I wanted to know what the beak was skeletally, functionally, and when this major transformation occurred from a normal vertebrate snout to the very unique structures used in birds.
0: Okay, yep, 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 that makes sense. The first
2: step was for the team to start going through the different stages of changes in the way genes are expressed in embryos, in, the, in specifically the embryos of chickens, as well as other animals, including mice, alligators, emus, turtles, and lizards. Through this initial stage of the research, scientists were able to determine that birds have a very unique cluster of genes that are directly related to the facial development that's not present in the other creatures with no beaks that they were studying. So they had the theory that if they were somehow able to silence these genes, then the beak structure of the chicken would revert back to its original ancestral state. So in order to do this, to switch this gene off essentially, the team isolated the proteins that would have gone on to develop into beaks. They then took tiny beads coated with some sort of an inhibiting substance, and they used these beads to suppress those specific beak-making proteins. Weird. I know. Once they did this, they waited eagerly to see what would happen. I picture them like in the laboratory with their lab coats on and goggles, and they've got like really frizzy hair, like mm-hmm. Doc Brown. Sure, of course. You know,
0: All scientists do.
2: Rubbing their hands together in eager anticipation. So, what happened was when the skeletons started developing inside the egg's embryo, instead of beaks, these creatures developed short, rounded bones instead of elongated, fused beaks that are found in modern bird skeletons. The beak structure was indeed reverted back to its ancestral state. Also, the palatal bone located in the roof of the mouth, Mm -hmm. in addition to that, reverted back to its ancestral state.
0: Well, I would I would hope so. Otherwise, that would be uncomfortable because you'd have that palate working toward a beak and instead it's just got this rounded, you know, it would just not work out well, I think.
2: In this study, which was published in the journal Evolution, the team said they did not set out to create a dino chicken per se. But this is what appears to have happened.
0: Did they incubate it? Like, did they bring it to?
2: No. No. No, they did not. Hatchy time? They did not bring it to hatchy time. They destroyed it. I don't know if they made some sort of a a chicken dino omelet or what they did. Stop it. So one of the scientists involved in the study explained, quote, they are far less weird than many breeds of chicken developed by chicken hobbyists or breeders.
0: (laughs) That's upsetting. <laughs>
2: yeah, that they can create a dinosaur-chicken hybrid, and it's not as weird as some of these other chickens that are being bred by hobbyists. Right.
0: I need to know about about your hobby, sir. The,
2: the rest of the animal, he said, looked okay. But one needs to think about this carefully from an ethical point of view. Yeah. Uh, he went on to say that even though they terminated the embryos, he had no doubt that they would have developed and hatched in a completely normal way. Just kind of dinosaur-ish. There have been other similar studies, just as successful. A researcher at the University of Chile did a similar experiment, but this time it was on the bird's legs, the fibula. In a bird, the fibula is a thin bone that runs the length of the lower leg, and in modern birds, that bone doesn't go all the way to the ankle. But in their dinosaur ancestors, it did. So what this team discovered was that in modern bird embryos, they actually start out with this ancestral trait of a longer leg bone, and as they develop over time, the fibula shortens greatly until the adult bird has a tiny fragment-like fibula instead of a long, hollow one. So once they determined this, all they had to do was essentially switch off the gene that allowed this kind of bone growth at the embryonic level the experiments were successful and then there's jack horner
0: little jack Horner? no
2: it's bigger jack horner he's actually uh, pretty big he's the curator of paleontology at the museum of the rockies as well as a professor at the montana state university wow and also in fact he was the guy he was like the scientific consultant on jurassic park He's also the guy responsible for creating a genetically altered domestic bird with teeth, claws, and a long tail, (laughs) similar to a small carnivorous dinosaur or like a velociraptor. Thanks, Jack. Right now, his team is doing genetic research in an attempt to lengthen the tail at the embryonic level, essentially creating the perfect dinosaur-chicken mix. He doesn't like to call it a uh, dinosaur-chicken A hybrid, he prefers to call it a genetically modified chicken.
0: Yeah, that sounds too much like, oh, we'd give them antibiotics.
2: He does wonder, though, if he's able to create an elongated tail, whether or not the bird would be able to use it. He said it would be relatively easy to genetically engineer a tail, but then you have to take into consideration, would he have to genetically engineer muscular and nervous systems in order for them to be able to use these new features that they've created
0: right and they don't have a grown-up animal teaching them how to behave using that new feature
2: that's true So we've got several different teams working on similar types of projects to learn the secrets of avian evolution. Uh, There's still a lot of unanswered questions, but the Harvard researcher involved in the first study believes that 15 or 20 years from now, we'll be able to take all of these individual tools from all of these individual research projects, along with the information, and hatch a living, breathing dinosaur chicken, if we want to. And most likely they believe it will have a toothy snout similar to a velociraptor. I don't want them to do this. No? No, I do not.
0: I don't either. And I think my brain immediately goes to, well, you know, there would be people who'd be like, well, I want to eat that. Mm, Sure. And it would just become a specialty item. And I think that's gross.
2: (laughs) My source information, Smithsonian Magazine, Earthly Mission, Live Science, and USA Today. Get ready for dinosaur chickens.
3: Here they come, everyone. And now, that thing in the middle.
2: You know when you look in your dog's eyes, that feeling of affection that you instinctively have for them? Research shows that domesticated dogs have evolved muscles around the eyes that allow them to make, quote, infant-like expressions that specifically appeal to humans. This prompts a nurturing response. The study shows that puppy eyes helped domesticated dogs bond with humans. This same muscle is absent in wolves, their closest relatives.
3: So, it was either listen to us or that learn to speak French in just 10 days podcast? Slacker. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got
2: to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it, and that's where Greenlight can help.
0: Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families, Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills.
2: Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely, thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way.
0: I don't know, like a quarter or something.
2: Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together.
0: Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free.
2: Greenlight.com slash oddities.
1: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro
2: Gilligan-Toth. Today on Boo Effect Updates, which has really kind of become our entire inbox of emails.
0: John wrote, Just listen to the latest box of oddities about the man with locked in syndrome. That night, I was home with my lovely lady just binge watching scrubs when season five, episode 19, had a patient with that same syndrome. The most important thing about this story is how much I overreacted. <laughs> I stopped eating. I told everyone else to, and I'm going to have you go ahead and do do a dramatization. Okay.
2: Shut the hell up. The most amazing thing is currently happening. (laughs) (laughs) Love you guys. We love you too, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for sharing your Boo Effect. We've probably had, I don't know, 200 emails and messages this week alone Mm -hmm. on Boo Effects. It's just, it's amazing. Weird coincidences that uh, people have involving the box of oddities. We love it. You also,
0: know? somebody commented that uh, we brought up Princess Di a couple of times during a recent episode. And somebody messaged saying that the episode dropped on the anniversary of her engagement to Charles. Oh, weird. So, All I mean, right. that's, uh, that's pretty fun.
2: There you go. And here you go with a story, I'm hoping.
0: Yes. Um, I love so much that uh, I get incredible suggestions for topics all the time. And uh, sometimes I'll find one and I'm like, yes, this is it. And then I get about halfway through uh, reading about it and I start to get real nervous and I think, okay, well, I can't do this right or I'm going to seem like an a-hole or, you know. So what I'm going to say is, it is impossible to discuss the world and its social geographical changes without... Talking about colonialism, genocide, relocation, forced relocation, indoctrination, racism, et cetera, coming up. And I I am going to do my best. I know it won't be good enough um, to acknowledge these things without being insensitive, but also focusing on the etymology, mm-hmm. which is what this topic started as. We got a request from Janet. How did the continents get their names? All right. And I was like, yes, this will be fun. I ended up crying because I got to learning about Native American forced relocation. And I, you know,
2: Mm. Mm. I know you want me to put you in a better mood before you do this.
0: Yes, please.
2: You found a dildo in the street.
0: (laughs) I did. I did do that. Yep. How did
2: it get there?
0: I don't know. know, It did not look like it was in good shape.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a gently used adult toy? It was not. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. There was nothing gentle about how that thing had been handled.
2: Did, Did somebody leave it on the hood of their car and forget when they drove away? Unsure. Okay.
0: It's gone the way of the single shoe, which I will never understand. Yeah,
2: I don't get that either.
0: So the ancient Greeks divided the world into three parts, Asia, Libya, and Europe. And the Nile was the dividing line between Asia and Libya. So Egypt was technically grouped in with Asia in their conception of the world. Asia. Asia. So when did Africa start to be called Africa? The term Africa didn't start to dominate until the 17th century CE. It was far more common over the past 2000 years to hear that landmass called Libya, Ethiopia, Guinea, or Sudan, all of which are now, as you know, countries in Africa. In comedic History of Africa, Dr. Sheik Anta Diop said Africa never originated from within the people, and her people were never associated with that name. In fact, some argue that Africa was initially called Al-Kibulan. Al-Kibulan means Mother of Mankind or Garden of Eden. And it was in the 17th century that Europeans started really understanding the world land masses. And it started to explode that they were tootling around, claiming and dividing up land masses, particularly Africa. And it was at this time that they were creating the maps that we would go by for centuries. So it just took one really good map maker saying this is Africa for us to go like, oh, yeah, that's Africa. Hmm. Some scholars believe that the word originated from the Romans. According to this school of thought, the Romans discovered a land opposite the Mediterranean and named it after the tribe in that area. And they were called the Afri. That area is what is now Tunisia. And some believe that Africa comes from the word Afriki, a Greek word which means land free from cold and horror, which does sound nice. Asia. Asia. Asia is the world's largest continent. And it originally was just the name for the east bank of the Aegean Sea. It's thought to have originated from the ancient Greek word Asia. That name then was used to describe land that went further and further and further back. As they became explored, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's also Asia. Yeah, now that's also Asia. <laughs>
2: that too. Over here, that's that's Asia as well.
0: It was first referred to as Anatolia in Herodotus. However, uh, it was in use long before that too, uh, but not for the entire continent. It was mm. just kind of that chunk over there. But again, because the understanding of the world at that time was so limited, it was this place, this place, or that one. And so (laughs) it makes sense that they were just like, okay, well that's also Asia.
2: I just read an article about a town that named all their streets like that. It's like this street, that street, here's another street.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: Street over there. I love that idea.
0: I think that's gonna just be confusing. But when you're like navigating and you're like, is it this street? No, it's that street. Wait, what? Are we in some sort of who? Get off my brain part.
2: But it's lovely in here.
0: Thanks. Other scholars argue that the origin for the name Asia is to be found in the Semitic Akkadian. Akkadian is an extinct language that was spoken in ancient Mesopotamia. And they point to the Akkadian word asu, meaning to rise. So some linguistics point toward this providence as making the most sense, because from the Mesopotamian perspective, being east of Mesopotamia, as we discussed, they had a pretty vague idea of the spaces that they were referring to. They would have said, like, over there is where the, mm-hmm. the sun rises. Mm-hmm. This theory works in conjunction with the idea that the Akkadian word Uribu, meaning to set in the west, became Europe. Oh, because, of course, that area was to the west. The first written record of the word Europe is in the Homeric Hymns, a series of 33 anonymous poems written in honor of various Greek gods. In the Hymn to Apollo, the poet writes, Here I am minded to make a glorious temple, an oracle for men, and hither they will always bring perfect headicombs. Hennecombs? Sounds delicious. So as I said, the ancient Greeks divided the world into the three major units, Europe, Asia, and Libya, the last of which referred to the known northern portion of Africa. But how did Europe come to be called Europe? Well, for me, at least, the story of Europa comes to mind. Uh, Europa gave birth to three sons of Zeus. Zeus, of course, the god of the sky in ancient Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. And each of those sons became kings of regions around the Mediterranean. So maybe those regions being ruled by the sons of Europa led to the idea that the whole, you know, would be the mother. And Europa, Europe, hmm, question mark? But taking a linguistic approach, some scholars believe Europe's name is descriptive in origin. In Greek, Uris means wide. And ops, of course, means a reference to the eye or the face.
2: As in optic.
0: That's correct.
2: See, I could be a linguistic guy.
0: <laughs> so that leads What's to... What's the word
2: for linguistic guy? Linguist.
0: You do great.
2: I'm a, I'm a nonstop word guy.
0: So then we arrive at wide gazing, which is an appropriate description of Europe's broad shorelines as seen from the uh, perspective of maritime Greeks. But these are just theories. And how Europe became known as Europe is still debated. What about America, though? America's relatively new-ish.
2: I seem to recall reading something about that. Uh, some guy whose name was... Amaris or Amari or something like that, just decided to name it after himself.
0: Yeah, well, I think all the time I find things and I'm like, I like this. From now on, we're gonna call it Katrina. That's what we'll call burritos from now on. Burritos? Yep. Okay. I love them, I've discovered them, and now that's what they're called. Now, of course, there are countless names for the Americas that are lost to history. After the Europeans arrived because the yeah. the First Nations people uh, conquested and di- diseased and all that. So we just can't we can't know what all of the, the names were, uh, nor would we have time to go through them all. But the Kuna people of Panama and Colombia referred to the Americas as Abia Yala, the continent of life, which I really like. The Lenape, or Delaware people, the indigenous peoples of northeastern United States and Canada, called the landmass Turtle Island. And that comes from the various indigenous oral histories that tell the stories of the turtle that holds the world on its back. But... America, how did that generally work out? Well, you're not far off. Amerigo Vespucci. That's it. The Italian explorer. He explored the new continents in the years uh, following Christopher Columbus, etc. Uh, but some protest and say, nah, nah. They claim that the Americas are named after a mountain range in Nicaragua or after Richard Amerike of Bristol. In 1977, the World Council of Indigenous Peoples proposed using the term abhyayala instead of America.
2: Yeah, good luck with that. We haven't even adopted the metric system yet.
0: There are also other indigenous languages um, that they would like to have us consider as an objection to colonialism. And I mean, right on that same vein, let's talk about Australia. They might have the most straightforward answer to my, my most basic question today, australia means southern okay so there
2: that makes sense
0: (laughs) before (laughs) it was called australia of course there was new holland and new south wales but there were over 500 different clan groups or nations around the continent each with distinctive cultures beliefs and languages But the First Nations peoples of Australia, as far as I could find, referred to where they lived as the land or home. So they didn't have, I know. By the early 19th century, explorers had been on the hunt for a massive southern continent they called Terra Australis Incognita. Basically, it was the southern land that is hidden.
2: How do you hide Australia?
0: Well, here's the thing is they didn't, they, they kind of vaguely knew that something was down there, but a lot of people thought that it was a southern landmass that would, quote unquote, equal out the land of the north.
2: <laughs> Balance it out a they bit. They needed uh-huh. the
0: earth to be balanced. It
2: needs to be distributed evenly.
0: Which, you know, if I was organizing this shit, I would agree. The <laughs> word Antarctica comes from the Greek language, Antarcticos. Antartikos which means opposite of the Arctic. All right, fine. In turn, Arctic comes from the Greek word arktikos, which means of the bear, in reference to the northern constellation called Osa Manor, uh, which is the polar star, which marks the North Pole. So antarcticos means opposite of the bear. So it's, it's the opposite of where that star constellation is. Okay. I had heard once that there are bears... At the North Pole, but not bears at the South Pole, and so they n- Antarctica meant that that's where the bears don't live. <laughs> and I was like, "Is that right? I don't think so.
2: No, that sounds too. Goofy. Maybe though, that looks like something I would have made up.
0: I know that bears do live north, but I think it just comes from the the constellation confusion because okay. it's the the bear constellation. All right. So I, th- I think there was just some confusion there. But I don't know. Do bears live in the South Pole? I don't think so.
2: Hey, Siri, are there bears in the South Pole? Okay. I found this on the web for are there bears in the South Pole? There are no polar bears in Antarctica. Polar bears live in the northern polar region.
0: So, I mean, it's not inaccurate. No, it's not. But probably not where it originated from. Um, So... There you go. There's some etymology and uh, and some bonus materials. Uh, read the continents, not all the continents, and maybe more continents than you might consider continents, because even how many continents there are is a debate still. So, well,
2: there's really only one. It just broke up a long time ago.
0: Oh, look pa- at you, Pansia. Actually, thanks for actuallying us, guy. Is it, is it white man?
2: Is it Pan Panacea or Pansia? Pancetta. Pants seat. Planchette. Pangea. Pangea. Pangea.
0: I was way off. (laughs) I got my information from History of Yesteryear, Britannica, Pulse.ng, IAU.com, and WorldMeters.info. Thanks for sticking with me through that one.
2: I would go anywhere with you.
0: Oh, you're nice.
2: Even out on the street to collect dildos. So we've got some live shows coming up. We're going to be in Nashville, Tennessee on the 29th of March at Zanies. We're back at Zanies, Looking forward to that. And then the following night, we're in Huntsville, Alabama.
0: Very excited about that.
2: And uh, by the time this airs, we may have added new shows. I don't know. We'll see. But go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Click on live shows and the info will be there.
0: And you can get your tickets as well.
2: Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you.
0: I can't wait.
2: Not just at a live show, but next time.
0: Oh, I see what you've done. Mm -hmm. Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.
0: Music hit me so hard. Make me say, oh, oh, my, my Lord, God. thank you for blessing me. Okay.